This is WTMJ Nights. And now here's your host, Dan Schaefer. Greetings, folks. My name is Dan Schaefer. I'm going to be your host tonight for WTMJ Nights. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm the founder of an in- independent publication called The Recombobulation Area, and I'm going to be your host for this evening. Thank you so much for joining me today. And wow, what a day uh, for news in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. Uh, I, uh, you know, one of the things, a couple of the things that I cover most frequently at the Recombobulation Area are Wisconsin politics, uh, of which there has been a lot of news uh, over the course of the day, be it on shared revenue, all sorts of different things. Uh, and also, you know, one of the things that I, that I write a whole lot about is the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, and if you were following along with our broadcast uh, right before this, you heard that the Milwaukee Bucks just dismissed head coach Mike Budenholzer. Uh, so a big day for, for the political world in Wisconsin, a big day for the sports world. Uh, in Wisconsin. So there is going to be a whole lot for us to talk about. Uh, Again, my name is Dan Schaefer. uh, And if you don't know my work, that's okay. Uh, I am an independent journalist. I write and publish a publication called the Recombobulation Area. I publish on Substack. Uh, It's a subscription-based publication. And uh, you might also know me from from my work before I started the Recombobulation Area. I wrote for BizTimes Milwaukee, I wrote for Milwaukee Magazine. I wrote for the Milwaukee Business Journal, where I also did some work over at uh, right here at 620 WTMJ. But I've been writing the Recombobulation Area uh, weekly opinion column and online publication uh, for more than three years now. Uh, And so if you have gotten to know my work for that, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, And so one of the things that I have, you know, that I have covered quite a bit there uh, is the is the shared revenue issue. Uh, in the city of Milwaukee, in the state of Wisconsin. So we are going to be talking about that uh, during the show today. Uh, but I think we get, we have to start because I am a Bucks fan. Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I'm a huge Bucks fan. Uh, I, I tweet about the Bucks all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily a Bucks reporter uh, like you know some of the other folks that you might hear on the station. I know Justin Garcia uh, was just on the airwaves a few minutes ago talking about some things. So, so I, I am approaching this as a fan, and as a fan, uh, you know, it, I, it, it's obviously big news when when the team fires the coach, and you know, after the loss that the Bucks had at the hands of the Miami Heat. Uh, losing in what I think some could argue is one of the biggest upsets in NBA history, it is you, you expected some changes to happen. You know, this was a team that going into the playoffs, you expected a long playoff run. You expected them to go, you know, potentially all the way back to the NBA Finals. They were the favorites uh, going into the playoffs. You know, it, this was, wasn't one, really one of those years in the NBA where there was really like an overwhelming favorite going into the playoffs, like there had been, you know, maybe in years past. But the Bucks were expected to make a deep playoff run, and they and that didn't happen. Obviously, they lost in five games, uh, and Mike Budenholzer is, uh, I guess, the first casualty of that uh, of the next wave of decisions 
um, that that follows that you know big upset playoff loss. Uh, and I don't think you can expect to have a big playoff loss like that and not have some big changes. And I and I think that you know is what we're seeing here uh, with Mike Budenholzer getting fired. But at the same time, look, he 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 may have. You know, had some stumbles in this particular series. He he may have been a little bit inflexible at times as a head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. But look, the man won a championship in Milwaukee, and it, I think a lot of us who are Bucks fans thought maybe that that would never happen. <laughs> you know, that uh, that the Milwaukee Bucks would never have a chance to compete for championships. And when Mike Budenholzer arrived in 2018. And they got off to an amazing start that season. It was like, wow, this 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 team is a championship level team. The window's open, and for five years, the Milwaukee Bucks have been one of the best teams in the NBA. And they obviously they won the title in 2011. And you know, I I think it might be the right decision to to part ways with Mike Budenholzer right now. But the man won a championship in Milwaukee, and flags fly forever. So Milwaukee, so Mike Budenholzer will always be uh, a Milwaukee legend. And so regardless of how, how this ended, obviously this is what no one really expected, no one anticipated, uh, with the Bucks losing the way that they did in, in the first round against the Miami Heat as the top seed, losing to the eighth seed. Uh, you know, it's, you, there has to be some consequences. Uh, there has to be some accountability. And I think, you know, we can talk a little bit more about uh, some of the reasons that went into it. Uh, in, in the next segment here, but I think just the big picture is just look. Mike Budenholzer was the coach for the for five years, and this is probably the best five year stretch that we've ever had as Bucks fans watching watch, watching this team compete for titles. You know they were the top seed in the league three of those five years. Uh, they obviously made and won uh, the finals in 2021. One of the most remarkable playoff runs for any team uh, to, to make the finals, and so a really uh, incredible run for for Mike Budenholzer. Sad to see it end the way that it did, uh, but he will always be a champion, and he will always be a Milwaukee legend uh, as the head coach. And again, the news today: the Milwaukee Bucks parting ways with their head coach Mike Budenholzer, who had been with the team for five years. Uh, you know, statements uh, from the from the Bucks organizations confirming the news that was reported uh, earlier this afternoon. And, uh, and and uh, we are going to be headed to break here. We're going to be continuing to talk about uh, the Milwaukee Bucks firing Mike Budenholzer after the break here. Uh, and again, I'm your guest host this evening. My name is Dan Schaefer. This is WTMJ Nights, and we'll be right back. The night is still young. More of WTMJ Nights coming up next. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. My name is Dan Schaefer. I am your guest host this evening. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm the founder and the writer of the Recombobulation Area, a weekly opinion column and online publication covering news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. Uh, we've got a lot of news and politics to be talking about today in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. Some big, big, big news happening with the state budget. Uh, happening with the super important shared revenue bill. Uh, excited to talk about that 
on this broadcast as well. But we got to start with some of the some of the breaking news in Milwaukee from this afternoon. Uh, and as anyone who follows me on Twitter or is familiar with my work knows, I'm a huge Milwaukee Bucks fan. Uh, I don't cover the team like some of the folks you might hear on WTMJ, but I, I am a huge, huge fan. Uh, so obviously the Bucks parting ways with uh, head coach Mike Budenholzer uh, is some pretty big news here in Milwaukee. Uh, obviously, the news coming in, uh, you know, I guess eight days following the Bucks' big loss against the Miami Heat uh, in the first round, losing in five games uh, as the number one seed. You expected changes, I think, going into this offseason. Uh, and it was a it was such a stunning loss and, and stunning, you know, really collapse in, in the fourth quarter in both of those games that. You expected some changes. You expected some changes coming into this offseason. Uh, and, you know, just in the spirit of the name of my publication, it was a very discombobulating time to be uh, uh, <laughs> to lose those games and lose in the way that they did. So, yeah, just, just as I try to do with my weekly political opinion column, uh, the Bucks had to recombobulate a little bit uh, to get back on track to figure out what they're going to do next. Um, and it's, you know, I think it's a big decision for the team, Mike Budenholzer had got a contract extension following the 2021. Uh, I believe I, I, it's one of our one of our texters reminded me here that I said 20, it's 2011 and not 2021. 2021 is when the Bucks uh, won the championship. Uh, Budenholzer got a contract extension after that, uh, so you know they still had a couple of years left on that contract and it's a big decision for Bucks ownership whether they're going to, you know, look for a new coach, whether they're going to pay the remainder of that contract. Uh and there's some new new voices in Bucks ownership as well. Uh you know, this has been a spring of change at the at the top for Bucks ownership with with Mark Lazary selling his 25% share of the team um to the Haslam's, Jimmy Haslam, owner of the uh also an over, owner of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, he has stepped into Bucks ownership group. So between Haslam and Wes Edens, uh, it's a big decision for for that group. And I think uh, obviously they made the decision to move on from Mike Budenholzer. Uh, it's you know I think it's when a loss like this happens, the coaching staff is often the first place you look uh, for a lot of those changes. Uh, and I think it's it can't be really that much of a surprise. And I think in 2021. When the Bucks were struggling uh, at points in the postseason, there was a lot of talk that Budenholzer would get fired then. Um, and and when when he, you know, when the Bucks were down two zero to Brooklyn, there was a lot of talk that if they were going to lose that series and lose in the second round uh, in a back to back years, that that they that they were going to let go of Budenholzer at that time. Uh, obviously, things. Thankfully, went the way that they did for the rest of the postseason. They ended up beating Brooklyn in seven in that series, uh, winning the NBA Finals. Uh, and so everything all well and good with Budenholzer coming back. And last year, I think everybody attributed their loss in the seven-game series in the second round to the Boston Celtics. Not to coaching, not to Budenholzer, not to a big sense of the roster, but to the fact that Chris Middleton, probably the Bucks' second-best player, uh, was out for that series. So I think a lot of people thought, you know, coming back this year with a, with a healthy Middleton, um, with a, you know, few tweaks to the back end of the roster, that they would have a, another chance to, to compete. And now, obviously, after the loss, they have to make changes with Budenholzer. And, and I think, you know, 
I, I think the writing was a little bit on the wall after some of the comments that uh, some of the comments that Giannis Adetokounmpo made in his post game press conference that night. I think all the attention from that post game press conference went to the comments he made about failure, and and I think rightfully so. It was such a remarkable exchange that he had uh, uh, in those comments, but also he talked about during that press conference that that you know he wanted to guard Jimmy Butler and that the coaching staff didn't make the adjustment and that he wanted to. Uh, take on that challenge of of guarding Butler when he was just absolutely going nuts against the Bucks, scoring forty six points, scoring forty points, uh, fifty six points, forty points in those final two games. Uh, so I think he want. I think Giannis wanted that challenge, and I think one of the one of the criticisms that there has been of Budenholzer is that he is that he is doesn't adapt. Uh, that he is not exactly the most flexible coach, uh, and he doesn't make those types of adjustments, and. I, I think that is ultimately why he got fired is because he was not able to make some of the postseason adjustments that you would want to see in a championship level coach. I think a postseason in the NBA is a long process. It's, each of these series are seven games. You have to make adjustments based on your opponent, uh, based on the health of your roster, based on all sorts of different things. And Budenholzer had a great system. It, it led them to be, it led him to be the winningest coach. Uh, in the NBA for the five years that he was the coach of the Bucks, uh, but th- some of that lack of flexibility, lack of adjustments in the playoffs, I think is ultimately what did him in. And you know we'll have to turn the page and and see what's next for the Milwaukee Bucks uh, as they as they recombobulate themselves, uh, looking into a potentially potentially difficult off season with a whole lot of decisions hanging in the balance uh, for this Bucks roster. Uh, so. Uh, we'll have a chance to talk a little bit more about the Bucks as we continue uh, on WTMJ Nights. I'm your guest host this evening. My name is Dan Schaefer. And when we get back from the break, we're going to be talking about one of the big issues in the state budget this year, one that's kind of flying under the radar right now, and the issue is child care. And there are some big issues that the state has to sort out uh, when it comes to child care. We're going to be talking about some talking to some folks uh, who are involved uh, in childcare in Wisconsin when we get back from the break. Again, my name is Dan Schaefer. This is WTMJ Nights. Back to WTMJ Nights. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I am your guest host this evening. My name is Dan Schaefer. I am the founder of the weekly opinion column and online publication called The Recombobulation Area. Yes, that is named after the famous post-security area uh, in the Milwaukee airport. I thought it was a good name for a political opinion column. Since we have a fairly discombobulating news cycle in the state of Wisconsin, it it, it feels like the amount of political news that we have in the state is just nonstop. Uh, So it can be discombobulating. So what I like to do in that political opinion column is kind of piece things back together. And one of the things that I did this week uh, was write about the state budget and the state budget process. And uh, I have a column up today at the Recombobulation area, free to read. Uh, go check it out. That is about, you know, some of the early decisions that were made in that budget process. So Tony Evers introduced his budget uh, a couple months ago. The wheels have been moving a little bit slow in Madison as of late. Obviously, we had our big spring election. So now we are now we are in the thick of it, in the thick of the budget process. So earlier this week, uh, the co-chairs of the powerful budget writing joint finance committee uh, made some decisions. And what they did was they got rid of more than 540 items from Tony Evers' proposed budget. 
so there are a whole lot of different things uh, within the budget that the Republicans uh, essentially voted out of it. Uh, and so they did kind of what they have done in divided government that we've seen in Tony Evers' first term, which is strip the budget down to the studs uh, and kind of start fresh. So so they got rid of a whole lot of different things in that budget process. Um, and one of the things that I wrote about in my column today was they, they got rid of a, thing, a lot of things that are pretty popular policies that have bipartisan support. We're talking about things like Medicaid expansion. That has 70% support. Paid leave, more than 70% support. Uh, replacing lead pipes, obviously a big issue here in Milwaukee. Legalizing marijuana. We're seeing a lot of our neighbors in the Midwest doing that now as well. Uh, so they got rid of a lot of those popular policies. And I, I think, you know, it, it is important for us to take a moment to recognize that, you know, this is a lack of bipartisanship on the part of the Republicans in the legislature. But one of the issues, uh, one of the, the, one of the policies that, they, that so far has made the cut is the policy to continue funding the state's Child Care Counts program. And so within that Child Care Counts program, uh, there was some real concern among child care providers, among parents, uh, among people across the state, that, they, that there were going to be some real changes to child care if the Republicans in the state legislature took that out of Tony Evers' budget. So far, it has made the cut. Obviously, we are still very early in the process. Uh, so we're going to be talking to some folks uh, coming up here uh, after 630 uh, from the Wisconsin Early Childhood Action Needed group. Uh, that is uh, the abbreviation for that is we can. Uh, so we're going to be talking to some people about that. Uh, about the push to keep child care counts in the budget, because without it, I think we are taking a look at uh, some pretty severe cuts to some early childhood providers across the state. And this is an issue that is, you know, one of those issues that is not specific to Milwaukee, not specific to rural counties, not specific to suburban counties. This is something that parents and families across the state uh, are dealing with. So we're going to be talking about that when we get back from the break. You're listening to WTMJ Nights. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I'm your guest host this evening. My name is Dan Schaefer. I'm the founder of The Recombobulation Area, an online publication and weekly column covering news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. Uh, and before the break here, we're talking a little bit about the state budget process and, and what happened this week in the Joint Finance Committee, uh, where Republicans who run the Joint Finance Committee voted out more than 540 items from Tony Evers' proposed budget. But what we're actually going to be talking about in this next segment is one of those items that so far has made the cut, has, has is able to advance and move forward, uh, and that is funding for child care. Uh, and so we are going to be joined here in this segment by Trisha Peterson, director and owner of the Future All-Stars Academy, and Renee Henning, an administrator of Community Care Preschool and Child Care. They are part of the Wisconsin Early Action Needed group uh, that has been advocating uh, for child care funding in the state budget. So, Trisha and Renee, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having Thanks us. For having us. Uh, so first, just to take a big step back, big picture, what is the Wisconsin Early Childhood Action Needed Group, and what is Child Care Counts? Do you want to take that one, Renee, or do you want me to? 
Well, uh, the we can uh, is a group, uh, a kind of a grassroots effort, I think I would call that, of childcare providers that was uh, gathered to create a voice. Uh, I think during the pandemic, the Band-Aid was sort of lifted off of our wounds. We've been an industry that's in a bit of peril for some years, but when the pandemic came, here we are. So I, that was the impetus to gather us together and more power in numbers. So uh, we're led by our, our colleagues, uh, Corrine Hendrickson and uh, Brooke Sizemore uh, from, or Sidmore, sorry, Brooke. Uh, and from there, we've just been growing and growing. Uh, social media has been a blessing for us to get our words out. So uh, that's, that's we can. I'll let Trisha talk about Child Care Counts. Sure. Child Care Counts is a program that the Department of Children and Families created to help um, put money in after they received all the TANF money from the COVID funding federally. So they created these this Child Care Counts that help support um, centers, family centers, um, and it just helps us boost our pay for teachers, it helps bring quality, it helps support the quality that we're doing in our child care centers. So it's money that we receive each month. And it, um, if you're a four star or five star, you get a little bit more. And if you take in county shares children, you get a little bit more. So it's just been a very nice cushion for us to be able to do what we do every day. Well, as a, as a parent who has uh, kids in the age of, of child care, I, I know how important this is. And I know how much of a challenge it has been throughout the pandemic for, for parents and for child care providers. And I think one of the things that, that did happen throughout the course of the pandemic, and you touched on it a little bit there, was the fact that we did have all of this federal relief money uh, going towards child care providers. And the reason that it's so important to get involved on this issue and for the state to take action on this issue is because many of those funds are expiring. Is that correct? Yes, so they actually, yeah, they actually expire as of January of 2024. It'll no longer be. And as of this month, we actually lose um, what we were getting. We're getting cut into 50%. So it's going down as the funds start to run out. So obviously a big deal with this, with this um, funding expiring at the end of the year. So that, that means that the state, at the state level, they need to take action for, for this to continue. Uh, and, and so what's what's have you been working on uh, in relationship to the state budget uh, and in the run up to, you know, this process where the state will need to take action as this funding, you know, federal funding expires, the state needs to step in. Uh, what have you been working on in the run up to um, to this point in the state budget process? We've been doing a lot of work educating parents, educating business leaders. Uh, telling our colleagues to make this uh, make their voices heard so that people can understand. I think naturally business leaders are starting to hear from their employees and, and business leaders are telling their chamber of commerces and other uh, legislative leaders that, hey, there's a problem and it's affecting the workforce exponentially mothers are not going either back into the workforce or they're choosing to stay out because why they can't find childcare. So 
the other converse thing that's happening in families is families are choosing to wait longer or to have children or not have that second child because they can't afford it. They can't find childcare. They might have their one child in childcare, but they can't get an infant in childcare for say 12, uh, 13, 14, 15 months. Um, so when you're, when we're just been educating so that people can get to those legislators to understand. And so the more people in the community who understand what's really going on with early childhood um, in the child care, family child care, group child care, the more people that understand it and let their legislators know, the more those legislators are going to say, we have to keep this in the budget because the people have said so. That's our hope. <laughs> Such a big issue, and I and I think it's such important advocacy that you are doing on that issue. We are going to be going to a break right now, uh, and if you can stick with us, we can keep talking about child care counts and that and and the way that we can uh, and what a big issue this is for families mm -hmm. uh, and, and why it needs to be uh, in the state budget to. You know, not only avoid uh, some drastic cuts that could be made, but also to continue to build a better path forward for parents and families in the state of Wisconsin. So we're going to keep talking about that after the break. Uh, my name is Dan Schaefer. I'm your guest host, and this is WTMJ Nights. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I'm your guest host this evening. My name is Dan Schaefer. I'm the founder of the Recombobulation Area, an online publication and weekly opinion column covering news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. And right now we are talking about child care and the state budget. And we are joined by Trisha Peterson and Renee Henning. Uh, they are with a group called We Can, Wisconsin Early, Ch Early Childhood Action Needed. Uh, and we've been talking about their role in... Uh, and advocating for child care providers, for parents, for fa families, uh, and the child care counts program. So the state budget, in the state budget process this week, Republicans removed more than 540 items from Governor Tony Evers' proposed budget. Uh, obviously, 540 items is a lot of different things, and we, and we have talked a little bit about that on the program tonight. But one of the things that so far has made the cut uh, and is advancing forward uh, is the child care counts program and and I you know was happened to tune in uh, to one of the press conferences that the uh, Republican co-chairs of the Joint Finance Committee Howard Markline and Mark Bourne they gave a press conference uh, earlier this week talking about that and Howard Markline even noted that in their listening sessions across the state one of the things that they heard a lot about was child care and now Trisha and Renee you have been working uh, advocating for parents for families for child care providers uh, when you heard that response when you saw that you know that child care counts was not on the chopping block uh, earlier this week when the joint finance made the decisions what was your reaction to that I'm actually kind of shocked um, we've been told elsewise that this is gonna be on the chopping block soon so we're pretty we hope that our advocacy has really helped and people started listening. We tried to send as many people as we could to the open forums, to the Joint Finance Committee hearings that they could really express not only directors, but also parents and, and um, business owners and leaders in the community as well. So it was, it was a huge relief, but we're not over the hunch yet. Yeah. I agree. I'm pleasantly like, 
pleasantly surprised, happy, elated. Um, our representative um, has been listening to us, um, and I, I hope that he's putting that into action. Um, so, yeah, it, we, the more that we get the word out, I think uh, it, the, the better that we're going to be. We're, we're, we're not over the hump yet. Which is right. Right. So you mentioned you're not over the hump. So this is obviously a long process. They kind of took some of the first steps uh, in that process to decide what of Evers' budget is going to move forward. Uh, this obviously so far being one of them. But I think in the, the talk that we had heard, um, you know, from some of the leadership, the Republican leadership in the state legislature in the run up to this was that, you know, it might be on the chopping block. Uh, so if this program is cut, what would happen to the industry in Wisconsin? to the child care industry in Wisconsin. Sure. We recently it, it, participate. Oops, sorry, Trisha. No, go ahead. I was go just going to say, we re- recently participated in the statewide survey. Uh, again, a little grassroots effort. Um, what we found from that survey is a huge percentage of centers are going to need to raise their rates. And I feel like you said that you are a parent. That's right. Yep. You ha- so you are right in the uh, child care. Um, you, you pay the bills for the care, and you know uh, what that's like. Um, if parents have to pay more, I, I see that that's devastating to working parents. They aren't going to be able to do it. We can't. We can't have this burden on our working parents any further. So that we recently uh, discovered that a large percentage of uh, centers owners, I think it said uh, 55% of the providers that were polled in the survey, and I think there were 500 and some responses, mm-hmm. uh, said that they'd be raising rates. Some said they'd close. I honestly don't know what the future will hold for for my center. It will be uh, very difficult if if we don't have this support. And I think what you know, speaking from the perspective of a parent here, and I, and I have a two year old who who does go uh, in child care, who does get child care, and so you know, child care is not cheap already, right? Like it, it, it raising right. raising the rates for child care, um, that's a huge burden on families already, and and I think. What we should go be doing is going in the other direction and trying to make this easier on parents uh, and providing more funding for child care because this is such a big deal uh, for working families and, and for people who want to, you know, you know, like I think you mentioned a little, little bit about this before, but get back in the workforce. Um, you know, women or men who stay home with their kids. I was a stay-at-home dad uh, for a long time with my kids because we couldn't find, uh, we just had issues with child care. So I, I was a stay-at-home yeah. dad for a while. Uh, so we had to make that decision. And I think that is a decision that a lot of families, uh, a lot of two-parent households have to make. I uh, can't, you know, can't imagine being in a situation as a single parent as well, having to deal with, uh, you know, the type of rate hikes that you might see uh, coming up. So, and I think, you know, without extending the child care counts, Basically, we're going to see, you know, one of a couple different options. You're going to see rates increase for parents. You're going to see child care providers close. Or you're going to see people who are, you know, teachers or early childhood childhood educators uh, leave the profession. It's going to be harder and harder to to keep people on staff because it's going to be harder for these providers to, to pay them as well. 
Absolutely. Trisha, do you want to talk about our wage um, crisis that we have in our industry? Yeah, so an average um, child care teacher provider in the state of Wisconsin makes an average of $12 an hour. With this child care counts, our center alone, I'm, not, I'm only speaking for myself, I was able to give bonuses and a little bit of an increase in wages for about a $3 increase. So trying to get them up to at least living wage. But I also um, know that when this ends, how is that gonna? How are you gonna maintain that? And in our center alone, I will have to raise my rates over fifty dollars per child per week. And so my infant rates already are at two fifty four a week. So that's almost three hundred dollars a week for um, an infant. And we're in a very rural area in Dodge County, so that's a huge. Like I'm not sure how this will continue. So and again trying to keep wages, but also what comes with that is the benefit packages. So, you know, this is a hard job. And so mentally, how can we continue? It's it's going to be a struggle. Yeah. And like you said, the, it's a job that you said the average pay was, was about $12, $12 an hour. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of places that are, you know, offering competitive wages uh, at that rate. And I think, you know, you, to, to make sure you have good people working with your kids, like it, that's such a big deal, you know. And and I think making sure people are are staying on and and providing you know consistent care for for children as well. You mentioned you know a lot of the the rates for for infant care. I think that's a really important uh, for children of that age to have consistent care as well. Um, what what are some of the fo- what are some of the things if if parents who are listening to this uh, in our listening audience who are, who are hearing you talk about this if they want to get involved what are, what are some of the ac- actions uh, that they can take to support uh, the push to keep childcare accounts in the state budget and and just generally advocate for uh, for for more childcare uh, in the state of Wisconsin. I think the biggest thing right now is just reaching out, reaching out to the Joint Finance Committee and sharing their story of how this impacts them. They want to know the real personal stories from parents and also um, educators, and but also business owners. I think that's a big one right now because they want to hear how this is affecting the workforce as well. Absolutely. I think the more parents can understand what this process is all about and how they their stories can make an impact just telling their legislator, I mean, they might not have somebody that's on the Joint Finance Committee, or perhaps they don't necessarily understand the whole budget process. It's a big process. But knowing who their legislator is, their their senator, their representative, and, and telling their story. I'm struggling finding childcare. I can't get on a waiting list. Whatever that personal story is, those stories matter to the legislators, and they need to hear them. Again, what I said before, they work for the people, and if they don't hear from the people that that know it and live it, they they won't understand. So it's up to us as as those parents who to live that to to make them understand what's happening. Exactly. Well, child care counts, child care in Wisconsin more generally, such a big issue right now, such a big issue in the state budget. Hopefully, we will see some bipartisan action on it. And there is a real opportunity for some bipartisan action on it in this state budget. Uh, Trisha Peterson, Renee Henning, thank you so much for joining us here to talk about child care counts and talk about the Wisconsin Early Childhood Action Needed Group. 
Thank you so much Thanks for having so much us. for having. We appreciate the opportunity that you took to talk about this very important topic. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. We are going to be headed to break right now, uh, and we will be back to talk about We'll be switching gears uh, when we get back after the break, but you are listening to WTMJ Nights. I'm your guest host this evening, Dan Schaefer. Stick with us. You're listening to WTMJ Nights. This is WTMJ Nights. And now here's your host, Dan Schaefer. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. My name is Dan Schaefer. I am your host for this evening. Uh, If you don't know me, I am the founder of a weekly opinion column and online publication called The Recombobulation Area. Yes, it is named after the post-security spot in the Milwaukee airport. Uh, I thought it was a good name for an opinion column. Uh, We have a very discombobulating news cycle in the state of Wisconsin, so we often need to recombobulate uh, and put some things back together. Uh, So we're going to do that in this program here on WTMJ Nights as well. Uh, So we had an opportunity in the last hour of the show uh, to talk about some of the news of the day. Uh, I'm a big Bucks fan, and the Bucks just fired their head coach, so that's some big news of the day. I also had a chance to talk to some folks about who are advocating for more child care funding in the state budget. Uh, The Child Care Counts program made the first cut on the chopping block and the state budget, they had gotten rid of more than 500 and the Republicans in Madison got rid of more than 540 items from the governor's budget. One of those was not the child care counts program. So fingers crossed, uh, some bipartisan support for child care in Wisconsin for parents, for families, uh, for people in the child care industry. And I want to switch gears now and talk about something a little bit different, but something that I have, covered quite a bit at the recombobulation area, uh, and that is some of the highways and infrastructure, and in particular, the Stadium Freeway. Now, the Stadium Freeway is a roughly two-mile spur that goes from uh, 94, just north of American Family Field, uh, about two miles north uh, through some Milwaukee neighborhoods on the north and west side. And why why this is interesting right now is because there is a meeting next week, the first public involvement meeting for reimagining the stadium freeway. Now, there's been a lot of talk as of late about potentially tearing down some of the bridges around 794 downtown. That's got a lot of attention. Uh, It's a big issue. We have some big decisions to make on that as well. But perhaps flying under the radar just a little bit uh, are potential changes to the stadium freeway, because we are a little bit further along uh, about you know thinking differently about these these freeways in in the Milwaukee area. We've we've got a lot of a lot of highways that cut through the city of Milwaukee. I think there's like an eight mile stretch where there's three major interchanges, maybe even four major interchanges, depending on you on how you characterize a couple of them. Uh, 
you know, with the zoo interchange, the Marquette interchange, the stadium interchange, the lake interchange, we got a lot of highway overpasses going through Milwaukee. And I think, you know, some of the logic behind tearing down 794, you know, opening up this land for development, better connecting downtown in the third ward. These are all great things. And I, and we, I really love to see this conversation because it is a way to, to really do things differently in Milwaukee. And I think taking a different approach to these types of issues is a really important thing. And I, but I also think this project, potential project with the stadium freeway is such a big one. And I think it is going overlooked a little bit in the news environment that we have uh, here in the city of Milwaukee. So what is happening is that the state of Wisconsin is going to be reconstructing and uh, expanding and potentially widening uh, the highways on the east-west corridor of I-94, basically between the Marquette Interchange uh, and the Zoo Interchange. Part of that will be expanding the stadium interchange uh, and, and widening some of the highways there. But one of the things that I brought up uh, in a series that I wrote at the Recombobulation Area called, the, called Expanding the Divide uh, was, you know, it was about the stadium freeway. And I wrote a column called Tear Down the Stadium Freeway in Milwaukee. And that idea seems to have had some traction. And now the Wisconsin Department of Transportation, in partnership with Milwaukee County, in partnership with the city of Milwaukee, is undergoing a process where they are studying what it might mean to convert the stadium freeway to a boulevard. And so, obviously, south of 94, the, the 175, one, Highway 175, uh, is more of a boulevard, kind of a commercial corridor south of American Family Field. Uh, you've got a lot of retail and chain restaurants and things like that there. Uh, but I think north of, north of the freeway, you have Washington, things like Washington Park. You have the Washington Heights neighborhood. You have Uptown Crossing. You have, uh, you know, that, that is going right through Story Hill, a number of these other uh, kind of north and west side neighborhoods where there's this big, huge freeway blasting right through it that is disconnecting these neighborhoods. And if you, uh, you know, if you take a look at, at what's there, you have one of the best parks in the city, Washington Park, and one of its borders is this giant four-lane freeway cutting right through it. Uh, so is there an opportunity to better connect uh, these communities? Is there an opportunity to better connect these communities by changing this highway from a two-lane, you know, a four-lane freeway to something that's a boulevard, something that we could develop on, something that could border Washington Park, something that could, you know, you could build up, build new housing, build new retail, bring in new businesses, and really invite a reinvention and a reimagining of the west side of Milwaukee. Uh, so the first reimagining meeting uh, for that that the Wisconsin Department of Transportation is holding is next week. Next week, Thursday, uh, it's going to be happening uh, at Washington Park, at the Washington Park Senior Center, right off of Valite Street. The event is happening on Thursday, May 11th, from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, and after the break here, we are going to be talking to County Supervisor Peter Bergelis, who represents this district and has been advocating for a change here. He is joining us uh, in studio. So after the break, uh, we are going to be joined by him uh, to talk about this meeting, to talk about the stadium freeway. Uh, and, you know, op we're going to be opening this up uh, for your contributions as well. So if you have some thoughts on the stadium freeway, uh, Feel free to reach out. Let us know how you feel on the WTMJ talk and text line 855-616-1620.
That is 855-616-1620. If you have thoughts on the stadium freeway, because this is, this is an issue I've been very vocal about. Uh, I think we should tear down the fr- stadium freeway, convert it to a boulevard, stitch together some of these neighborhoods that have been divided by this freeway, invest in places like Washington Park, invest in these neighborhoods uh, that have been, uh, you know, un- have seen some disinvestment because of this, uh, you know, this unnatural physical barrier that we have put in between these neighborhoods. And I think, you know, Milwaukee is in many ways a very segregated city. And if we are going to start to desegregate the city, start to, you know, think differently about these highways, it's not just a conversation about 794 in downtown. It is about the stadium freeway. And that process is underway now. So we're going to be talking to County Supervisor Peter Borgellis after the break once we get into that. Uh, and we are going to be headed to a break right now. Uh, my name is Dan Schaefer. This is WTMJ Nights. Stick with us. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. My name is Dan Schaefer. I'm your guest host for this evening. Uh, we are talking a little bit about the stadium freeway. Uh, there is an, there has been a process underway in the state of Wisconsin uh, in a partnership with the Wisconsin Department of Transportation, Milwaukee County, and the city of Milwaukee to reimagine Wisconsin Highway 175, the stadium freeway uh, that goes from 94 to kind of... Nowhere. Uh, and <laughs> goes through a few neighborhoods. It's about a two mile stretch. Uh, it goes up, uh, you know, past Washington Park, past some, some residential neighborhoods in, in, uh, in the west side of Milwaukee. Uh, and joining us to talk a little bit more about that, uh, is County Supervisor Peter Bergellis, who represents this district, uh, and who has been involved in advocating for some change on this side of town. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks so much, Dan. Glad to be here. And uh, congratulations on your now 10 awards from the Milwaukee Press Club. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. 10 awards. You, you can say that again. I can. 10. I, oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's a great um, big number, but maybe next year it'll be 11 or 12 or. Yeah, maybe more. We're going to, we're keep, we're keeping, you know, we're growing this thing. It's, it's, it's pretty fun. So, so we're talking about the stadium freeway here. Uh, we've got this meeting coming up in, in your district next week uh, at the Washington Park Senior Center. So, so what can people expect uh, to learn about this project at that meeting. Yeah, well, this is just the first meeting of three that the Wisconsin Department of Transportation is planning. Um, it's really the fact-finding phase of the study, looking at what the amenities are in Washington Park around uh, the stadium freeway, what the neighborhoods look like, what um, their those neighborhoods are lacking, and uh, and taking an inventory of what there is. One interesting thing of the study, it's not just focusing on the asphalt, the six lanes of asphalt running between Washington Park and Washington Heights, but the study is actually taking in consideration uh, the entire neighborhood around the stadium freeway running from 20, the study is run, considering from 27th Street up to 60th Street and further north, um, which is, I think, a, a good indication that this study is going to be thorough uh, addressing neighborhood organizations, neighbors, commuters, uh, people who use that corridor on a daily basis. There isn't, it's not a, it's not a universal uh, let's kill the freeway and build a boulevard conversation. Uh, not a huge number, but a cert, uh, 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 there's certainly people uh, that have expressed to me their 
um, their happiness with the quick connection to, to I-94 and, and uh, downtown or, or out west. Uh, some people enjoy having the freeway there because it's convenient for them. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's and that's part of the conversation. I think that's why it's important to have these public meetings because you know if we if we don't get out there and get these issues out into the open, they just exist in the abstract, and and we can you know talk about them on the radio or talk about them on Twitter or wherever. Uh, but to really get into the neighborhoods and talk to people uh, about where they where they stand on this, I believe we have a caller uh, who calling in with the with some thoughts uh, on this as well. Uh, so Romy. Uh, you are uh, on the air. Hi, thank you. Um, I'm a contractor. I go through Miller Parkway at least once or twice a week. There is a lot of land there, a lot of land for development. I mean, outside of, I think, the VA, once you get to National, Miller Park. But to the north, there seems to be a lot of land. Give it away. Give it, let somebody develop it. I, I, I can see, and then make some of those left turns. You know, I can see cleaning it up. I have no problem with that. But the land that's like right to the north of Miller Parkway, that's been abandoned. I think there's a cemetery there that, that, that funny off road for like 55th and Holly. Give that land away. And then, a lot of those companies, a lot of, I'm sorry, the businesses around there, they serve Miller Park. Those are restaurants between, like, um, state, you know, once you start getting north. Hey, you're talking about those spots around, then, along Blue Mound and, and yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot. And then give to the brewers. We love the brewers. We love, we love our brewers. Make the... The, the stadium more accessible because that that's a real congested area in Milwaukee. Yeah, thank you so and much I, for the. I, I'm telling you, I go over that park like that park that goes over 94 West. Going, to, I'm I'm taking like that 175. Y'all going to clean up or whatever that is, and I'm going to Miller Park. I, I I usually shop at once I get to like National. I shop at the Menards. I shop at a lot of the restaurants. Um, you know, I'm I'm over there. I, I do business over there. I talk to people, but I I know that one particular area, just north, and once you get past Holly Road, and and there's a cemetery right there. That's right. Develop yeah. That- and thank you so much for the call. So yeah, I think that is a really important point, just about what's happening around there. And I think if you are able to convert this freeway to a boulevard that opens up some opportunity for investment and opens up some opportunity uh, to, to bring some new things to that area, build some connections to the Brewer stadium, build connections, you know, with the Washington park and, and, you know, just really stitch together this neighborhood that is in many ways divided by that freeway. So, well, you, you know, Washington park lost 10% of its, uh, its area when this, the freeway was uh, built. Uh, it'd be nice to get some land back to Washington Park, but the need for development, we know there's a housing shortage in Milwaukee. We know there's a, a, a incredible need for something as basic as a grocery store west of downtown. Think of that. There's no full-service grocery store until 68th Street. That's a problem. Uh, it's, it's nice that we do have Miller Parkway south of the stadium uh, with grocery stores and, and conveniences, but if you live in the Washington Heights neighborhood or uh, the Washington Park neighborhood or, or Martin Drive, you don't have access to anything. You have to get in your car. You have to take um, more than you have to take a, a substantial bus ride to do basic things. 
the, the I think the biggest opportunity for 175 is to establish a multimodal transportation corridor, boulevard, uh, separated bike lanes, uh, something for a, another uh, BRT would help connect the north side with the south side, uh, would help connect east of 175 with west of 175. Because right now, we have two great uh, parks. You might, we've mentioned Washington Park a lot, but we also have Doyne Park mm-hmm. just west of 175 near Wells Street. Uh, there is no good way to walk or bike from Doyne Park to Washington Park. That's a problem. I think that's been... Uh, the, the freeway certainly interrupted that that corridor, that that access uh, to our parks. Milwaukee County residents love our parks system. There are 150 plus parks. Uh, we enjoy using those green spaces. Let's make sure that, that they're accessible to all of our residents, not just the ones on one side of the freeway or the other. Yeah, I think that's such a good point, and I think you know it. it this is. You know, we always hear about in Milwaukee about how, oh, but there's too much. I think this was a a real big point in like the mayor's race last year. Right. So they were saying there's so much emphasis on downtown. Why why aren't there enough, uh, you know, investments in neighborhoods? Well, and what I see this stadium freeway opportunity as a conversion to is is a way to invest in neighborhoods, a way to invest in parks and transit and new businesses and new opportunities uh, and but that's what this ultimately would be. Uh, and I think, you know, we, th- this was this reimagining study or, or whatever you want to call it was announced about a year ago and they're figuring some, a bunch of different things out. Um, and like you said, this is the, the public involvement hearing that's happening next week is the first of several. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for, for Milwaukee to have the conversation to really figure out what it wants to see uh, with this. Uh, with this potential conversion or just what they want to see with the future in on the west side of Milwaukee. Yeah, I think it's important to note that there won't be uh, design proposals or uh, options on the table or presented at this first uh, public information meeting. It's going to be an open house style. It, it opens at 4 o'clock, closes at 7, stop by any time in between there uh, to take a look at uh, what DOT and, and the consultants are working on. Uh, there's a lot going on around 175, and there are a lot of considerations, a lot of constituencies, uh, and um, it's it's a great opportunity to add your comments and thoughts to make sure that uh, DOT is considering all of the options that are important to uh, residents nearby. That event is happening Thursday, May 11th from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Washington Park Senior Center on West Valiet Street. Uh, Peter Bergelis has been sharing his thoughts with us on that, and we are going to be headed to break right now. My name is Dan Schaefer. I'm your guest host this evening. You are listening to WTMJ Nights. Now, more of WTMJ Nights. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. My name is Dan Schaefer. I'm your guest host this evening. Uh, if you don't know me, I am the founder of the Recombobulation Area and a weekly opinion column and online publication covering news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. Uh, in our last segment, we were talking about the stadium freeway uh, and plans to reimagine it. Uh, and we were joined by County Supervisor Peter Bergelis. If you have some thoughts on the stadium freeway, we're going to have some time uh, to take some of your calls later in the show. Uh, so feel free to hit us up on our WTMJ talk and text line 
855-616-1620. That's 855-616-1620. And uh, Supervisor Brigalis is going to hang out with us for one more segment uh, because he was there for some, he was in Madison today for some, some of the bigger news uh, happening in Wisconsin this year, I think, is around this uh, shared revenue bill, uh, revamping how state government funds local government and, and making some big changes there. Because I think one of the things that going coming into this budget cycle that everybody had recognized was that the shared revenue program in the state of Wisconsin was broken. And the state government is now sitting on a $7 billion surplus but I think in many ways that has come on the backs of local government and local government has had to turn to citizens for referenda to fund local government, to fund schools, all these different types of things as state government under Republican leadership has cut shared revenue from municipalities around the state. So last week uh, they announced that they were introducing a bill this week. They introduced a bill today. They had a public hearing and Peter, you were there for that public hearing in Madison today. Can you tell us about what happened? What did you see? Yeah, I was there. It was a packed house. Mayor Johnson, County Executive Crowley, um, President Perez, uh, County Supervisor Sequana Taylor, Supervisor and uh, Representative Ryan Clancy and myself, we all testified uh, along with many other local mayors, mayors from across uh, Wisconsin County uh, representatives as well. Uh, there was a, a very robust discussion about the impacts of this bill, uh, specifically targeting Mo- Mo- the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County and really restricting local control of government. That's something that one particular party has been on a bandwagon for for many, many years. And it's surprising that suddenly the authors of this bill want to exert state control over what local government can and can't do. While there was a, a broad acknowledgement, even from the committee chairman uh, and members of the committee, that there are a lot of things that need to be corrected in this bill, it's still a start. I'm encouraged by the proposal uh, as a start of meaningful conversation and policy improvements, but we have to prioritize the needs of our constituents. Shared revenue in Wisconsin was frozen in 2004. It's been frozen for 20 years. Since then, Milwaukee, County's, Milwaukee County has made over $300 million in cuts just in the last 10 years. Our pension costs are, are jumping from $60 million in 2015 to over $120 million just three years from now in 2027. Our structural deficit is $109 million. The bill provides about 12 or $13 million more for Milwaukee County. It's a great start, but it's certainly not enough. When uh, a legislator uh, committee member pressed me on, well, what does Milwaukee County need? My answer was pretty simple. More. Milwaukee has a lot of needs. It's a big, diverse county, and we have a lot of needs, and we've had to make, you know, Milwaukee County has had, like you mentioned, Milwaukee County has made, had to make a lot of cuts uh, in recent years. And I think, you know, you, you look at different examples of this. I think the parks budget is a really great example because the parks budget is the same now as it was, I believe, in 1989. So Milwaukee County has a lot of challenges, needs a lot more funding, and, uh, 
And, you know, this shared revenue bill, and which is also tied to local control sales tax, which, which we can talk about as well, uh, it, it's, it's a really important one. And I think it's, it's you know, Republicans have talked about being the party of local control. That doesn't always apply to Milwaukee. I think we know that, right? They don't apply their philosophy equally across the state when it comes to local control. If Milwaukee does something they, doesn't, they don't like, they try to restrict it. We know that. Uh, but I think one of the things, you know, and I wasn't able to be there in Madison today for the hearing, but I did tune in uh, on Wisconsin Eye to watch. And I, I, the common thread that I saw from many of the mayors and local leaders and people that you mentioned being a part of this conversation was that this bill needs to, ha- needs to happen. This, this bill needs to pass. And we need... More health. Something needs to something pass. needs to pass. Yeah, something. Maybe needs not to pass. this one. Right, and you know, part of that is part of that news today is also that Governor Tony Evers is is threatening a veto of this bill. He said he would veto the bill in its entirety if it was passed as is. So you were you were there for you know they're they're making the sausage, <laughs> right? And this is this is part of uh, part of the nuts and bolts of government. Um, you know they're making the sausage, trying to improve this bill. And I think there are a lot of opportunities uh, to improve this bill because it, it has some flaws. Uh, and you touched on a couple of them: the the you know restrictions that it would have for Milwaukee, other changes uh, that would have you know for. For municipalities across the state, when it comes to requirements for law enforcement funding, uh, you know, that's obviously a big issue. One of the things that we wrote about at the recombobulation area uh, earlier this week was that, you know, these changes uh, to the shared fund, shared revenue formula are not applied equally throughout the state. You can see some of the charts that uh, we worked on at the recombobulation area. Marquette professor Phil Rocco uh, really broke this down in an interesting way, showing the way uh, that these formulas would would be different but i think you know everybody recognizes that something needs to happen and and this is the time to do it well listen the the whole point of shared revenue is to help local government provide services to its residents and the services that milwaukee county residents need are far greater than residents in other parts of of wisconsin so when you so i think it's it's absolutely telling when you see that there's a uh, every single municipality in Waukesha County is getting a hundred percent increase, while Milwaukee, the city, is getting t- a ten percent increase. The county's fourteen. Um, that's pretty telling. However, when you're comparing three hundred some dollars per resident in Milwaukee compared to twenty bucks in a smaller community that doesn't have the same services by by any stretch of the imagination, and they suddenly get fifty bucks. That's not that big of a difference. But we have to realize that the, the 10 or 14% increase is not a significant inflationary increase. That's what the authors of the bill said that this bill was supposed to address. Uh, it was, it's a significant inflationary increase. 10 or 14% does absolutely almost nothing to make up for the decades of underfunding our community. If we take a, just a 2.5% inflationary increase uh, and consider that from shared revenue from 2012 to now, we Milwaukee County, and this is not the city, just Milwaukee County's revenue from the state would be $82.6 million more. Imagine what we could do. We had a structural deficit last year of 30-some million dollars. If we had $83 million in the, more in the bank to provide services for Milwaukee County, we would have a healthier and much safer 
community, and our parks department wouldn't have to generate 56% of its own revenue just to keep the doors open. That's more than any other parks department across the country. They do a great job. They've, I think they've realized that Milwaukee, Milwaukeeans like to drink beer, and they've, <laughs> they've taken advantage of that with our, all of our great beer gardens. People love the beer gardens. But a 56% self-generated self revenue for the parks department is crazy. Parks, transit, the zoo, those are not requirements that the county uh, statutorily has to provide. Those are um, nice-to-haves, not have-to-dos, right? That's, those are the things that will be first on the chopping block, parks, transit, uh, and, and all of our culturals. Well, this shared revenue conversation will be ongoing. It is an extremely important one. And, uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today on WTMJ Nights to talk about it and talk about the Stadium Freeway. Again, reminder for people for that, uh, Thursday, May 11th, Washington Park Senior Center. Uh, and, you know, on this shared revenue bill, contact your legislators. There's, this is a really, really important thing. Uh, and we need to get something done, and we need to get something done that is going to be the right thing as well. Uh, so, again, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. We are going to be headed to break now. This is WTMJ Nights. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. My name is Dan Schaefer. I have been your host this evening for WTMJ Nights. If you don't know me and my work, I am the founder of a weekly column and online publication called The Recombobulation Area, where I cover news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. And we were just joined by County Supervisor Peter Bergullis, who was t telling us a little bit about the public hearing that was happening today in Madison about the big, complicated, gnarly shared revenue bill. And I think this is, this is going to be one of the most important bills that most important decisions that we're going to be talking about in the state of Wisconsin, in the political world this year, you know, along with the state budget, of course, uh, this might be the biggest, biggest thing happening. Tony Evers last year during his campaign said addressing shared revenue was the top priority he would have if he would, if he were to be reelected. Well, he has been reelected uh, and he certainly made his stance clear today. Uh, just about the same time as that public hearing uh, was getting underway in Madison, Tony Evers put out a press release uh, saying that if the bill were to be, if the shared revenue bill were to be passed in its current form, he would veto it in its entirety. So I think you know, going into this year, there was a question of whether you know if if Tony Evers would take a different approach, uh, if he if he would take a different approach to maybe play a little bit more hardball with the state legislature after he, he won re-election by a greater margin uh, than he did uh, in 2018. So he's come into this year saying, saying he would threaten to veto this bill if it passed in its current form. I think it's a really interesting position for the governor to take. And I think this is going to be really a really important inflection point uh, in his time as governor because he... You know, he really stood out there during the campaign last year uh, saying that this was a top priority. And now he is he is threatening uh, to veto the legislation, the legislation introduced by Republicans in the Wisconsin State Assembly. They held a press conference with a number of local leaders from Milwaukee. So there has been a lot of, you know, kind of buy in and negotiations, you know, at, at a, dot, a lot of different levels here. Uh, and in order for this to get over the finish line, there's going to have to be some changes. 
And I think we saw in the public testimony from a number of local leaders today, you know, some of the restrictions and requirements that this bill would have on local government, uh, you know, in Milwaukee, restrictions on what what the city would be able to do with the streetcar. Uh, it would essentially completely upend the way that the Fire and Police Commission works. Uh, I know the mayor had some key comments about that today. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, this is this is the sausage getting made. This is the sausage getting made. This is the process that is happening uh, to make this bill a better bill. And I think there have been, you know, a number of people coming out and being very opposed to this. Uh, this this share revenue agreement. And I think that's jumping the gun a little bit because I think there's a lot of work still to be done, still that we could get done uh, to make this bill better. I think the, the it's so new. It's so big. Uh, it, you know, the text of it wasn't even ready when they made the announcement for it last Thursday. They released the text of the bill on Tuesday. They had the sh- the the um, uh, they announced that the public hearing would be happening today. You know, it's a really it, it's going to take some work to improve this bill because there are some clear problems. And I think a number of the people across the state uh, who were in attendance uh, who were in attendance for the public hearing uh, made some really important points about, you know, what, what, how this would limit the way uh, local government would act. And I think local government should be able to make the local government is what it is because it can make those decisions that are closest to the community. Things like public safety, things like parks, transit, all those different things uh, that are right in the, in the community. We got a text here on the talk and text line uh, saying more hardball from, from day one. It was Evers way or the highway. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I disagree with that. I disagree with that, that comment because you know what? Tony Evers signed two Republican budgets. Uh, he has, you know, he is he, he had power stripped from him before he even took office. Uh, I don't think it has been Evers way or the highway. It, are there more opportunities for him to be uh, working with the legislature? Absolutely. Uh, are there more opportunities for him to be working with local leaders as as this process unfolds? Absolutely. Um, but I think I, I think at the legislative level, um, you know, I, th- I think you could also levy that same criticism of my way or the highway to folks like Robin Voss as well. Uh, it certainly cuts both ways. But I think it's going to be really important to see what happens with this shared revenue bill. We've got a lot of coverage of it at the recombobulation area. Uh, one of those things that we have written about uh, is the differences that we see in change in per capita municipal aid. We, we looked at uh, Milwaukee County. So every every municipality is going to get to be getting at least ten percent more uh, in this shared revenue deal. But that's not the case for for all municipalities. And so within uh, Milwaukee County, the places that are getting the most increases in municipal aid are the Village of River Hills, the Village of Whitefish Bay, Whitefish Bay Village of Fox Point, Village of Hales Corners, Village of Brown Deer. Uh, they are getting some some of those are getting more of a two hundred percent increase in municipal aid. I think you should take a look at this article and and see uh, and see what exactly uh, is going to be happening, what these changes are going to look like. Um, I had another text come in say say they agree with me. Hey, how about that? Uh, I think your Republican Party has been in their own way, and this is uh, this is from what the text said. I considered myself a conservative for more than thirty years. Hey, look, 
we all recognize that that there's that there's change that needs to happen in Wisconsin when it comes to shared revenue, uh, and and whether it's Tony Evers running things, whether it's uh, whether it's Robin Voss and the state legislature running things. Look, they have to. We have to come together and find an agreement for this shared revenue bill. We got to get it over the line, uh, and it needs to have improvements as it continues. So, contact your leg- legislators. Be in touch with them. Get involved in the process. Uh, participation is a power agent in this city, and be a part of it. Participate. Uh, and so, with that, we are going to be wrapping up the show here. Uh, my name is Dan Schaefer. You can find my work at the Recombobulation Era. You can find me on Twitter at Dan R. Schaefer. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us today, for having these conversations on WTMJ Nights. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much.